WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well, with your host, Boston Radio veteran, Ken Meyer. You know, there's an old saying that absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I think it's definitely true in this case, but we can really take advantage of it because of the technology that we have. And uh, that person that I'm referring to is none other than the former sports director of WCVB Channel 5, none other than Mike Lynch. Mike, good to have you back again. And it's great to be with you. I could do this every single day of the week with you. It's so much fun. <laughs> I appreciate that, and I, I feel the same way. Before we get into our uh, the sports scene of Boston, bring us up to date. What's new in your life and exciting? Well, um, as you know, I had a stroke about a year and a half ago. And uh, I'm getting better every day. Um, um, baby steps. I, I, I walk. Um, I walk with a cane. I walk with a rollator. Um, um, I go. I do a lot of swimming. I do a lot of physical therapy, and uh, and that's basically what what I'm doing. Uh, that and uh, enjoying my grandchildren, and <laughs> um, and uh, I'd be I'd be nowhere without the great work that my wife does for me. She she uh, I, I I just couldn't do any of the stuff without her. So, um, but I'm getting better every day. I'm, I'm back driving now with my left foot. They, uh, they, uh, they moved the, uh, the accelerator to the left side of the brake pedal because my right side is still um, my paralyzed side. And uh, I drive left-footed. So um, it's progress. Is it ever going to be 100%? Um, you think? They haven't told me no. So I'm going, I'm going, that's why I, I walk every day. I exercise every day. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, I, I, I get back, but I mean, you know, a year ago I was in a wheelchair. Somebody had to dress me, bathe me and everything. And now all that stuff's in the rear view mirror, you know, shower, shave, yep. um, yep. Uh, make, make, make meals, uh, driving, um, you name it. So, um, um, I'm, I'm not going to take the no for an answer. And we're just going to keep striving forward. Hey, if anybody can do it, Mike Lynch can, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> um, all right. Let's, let's go through each team here. Uh, Red Sox are in spring training and it's the last year of the Alex Cora contract. Um, I'd be curious to your thoughts on that. And I'm also disappointed that the Red Sox really didn't do much over the winter. Yeah, I think that when when they hired Theo Epstein uh, to for the Fenway Sports Group, they put out John Henry put out a statement, and he said, you know, he was you know he was praising uh, Theo, and says he'll he'll do this and that for our hockey team, our uh, soccer team, um, our business interests, and the last thing he mentioned was their baseball. And to me, that was a glaring omission and a glaring oversight. Well, maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was just telling everybody what his priorities are right now and that baseball is not a priority. Baseball was dead last on the list of things that he was looking forward to having Theo Epstein help with this Fenway Sports Group. And that 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 caught my attention and it stuck with me since, since that statement was made. Yep, I kind of felt the same way. But on the other hand, that's supposedly what they hired Craig Breslow for. Well, um, 
Theo, everyone thinks that Theo was going to come in with a magic wand and do what he did in 2004. Um, uh, Theo lives down in Greenwich, Greenwich, Connecticut. He's not going to move up here to Boston. He's not going to be involved in day-to-day operations. Um, he may get a phone call once in a while from somebody seeking some advice, but but his his thumbprint is not going to be all over this baseball team the way it was when he was 28 years old and was you know the young general manager that that uh, was responsible for two World Series titles. Yeah, you're saying what I thought uh, from the very beginning, and I was very disappointed in that because. Theo was a miracle worker. And uh, I think people will be or have been expecting that he'll do it again. And from what you said and from what I gleaned, uh, I don't think so. I think people are going to be sorely disappointed. I'm disappointed in Breslow because they really didn't do that much. And they lost Justin Turner which I, I think they should assign. And um, I'm, I can't get excited. I love baseball more than anything, but I just can't get excited about this upcoming baseball season. You know, I think that Craig Breslow was under the same orders that Haim Bloom was under. You know, here's, here's what we're going to spend. We're not going to pay exceed one penny more. Um, go find a bunch of players sign them for one-year contracts, and we'll try to develop our farm system. Now, their farm system is, is, is you know, depending who you, who you want to believe, is not valued or ranked very high compared to other teams around Major League Baseball. So there's, uh, there's one thing you have going against you. And there always was star power with the Red Sox. Imagine if you had your, your grandson, granddaughter, or niece or nephew, or, or son or daughter, and and you go to a game and, you know, you want to go in the pro shop and you buy them a jersey. You know, it used to be able to be, what's it going to be? Pedroia, Trotton Nixon, Nomar Garcia Parra, um, Jason Veritek, Manny Ramirez. Um, who, who do you want? Now, if you walk into that pro shop, <laughs> the, probably the most recognizable name would be the manager. And I don't even know if they sell manager jerseys, you know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> who, 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 who would you select? Let's say. Ken Meyer, let, let's turn the clock back a few years. You're a uh, you're an eight year old uh, Red Sox fan, and your family has brought you into the pro shop and said, "Ken, you can have any jersey you want. Which one do you want?" David Ortiz. Yeah, well, if someone, but, but from the current team, who would you pick? Uh, um, yeah, nope. you've answered my question by just just by that that hesitation. And in and, and wondering which which name you're going to pick, because there isn't anybody. Probably Rafi Devers. Yeah, yeah, that's um, probably it. Yeah, or Tanner Houck maybe. Yeah. Um, but and and they don't sound. Uh, Devers didn't have the kind of year that we all thought he would have last year, uh, especially for the salary that he's getting. I think it's easier for him because. The pressure is off now because he's signed to a, a long-term contract and he can relax, but he's still not putting forth the season that, that we all want and hope that he'll have. Yeah, so, the, um, he, doesn't, he, you know, he doesn't have the support around him either. I mean, when, when guys like Manny Ramirez were in the lineup, they had a guy like Nomar hitting in front of him, 
they had a guy like Veritech maybe hitting behind him or or one of those guys that they that they they picked up over the years. Rafi Devers, I mean, they, they can pitch around him every time he comes up because there's nobody that they are afraid to pitch that hits ahead of him or hits after him. Looking into the future, and I know your your crystal ball is a lot better than mine, but <laughs> I've I've heard talk last year that Cora wants to become general manager of the Boston Red Sox. I don't a I don't know if that'll happen, and b his contract's up at the end of the year. Uh, what do you glean from all this? Well, I think that if if uh, Alex Cora has another year like last year, and there's no reason to think it's going to be any better than last year, I think he's going to want to go someplace where he can cultivate a winner and be in contention for, uh, for, for first of all, just simply just make the playoffs, uh, <laughs> but also contend for, contend for a championship, which would lead everyone to think that, okay, it's time for Jason Veritek to be elevated to the new Red Sox manager. Now, they've got Craig Breslow. He's a Yale guy. He's th- very highly thought of by Theo Epstein and other people around baseball. I don't. I can't see Alex Cora leapfrogging over him and being the general manager of the Red Sox. But if I were Breslow, I'd say, hey, wait a minute. You brought me in here to uh, turn this thing around and to, and to be in charge of baseball operations. I'm, I'm uh, you know, if anybody's going to be in charge, it's going to be me. So I, I, I see a lot of, lot of, lot of problems down the road when the season ends. Everybody said that Hyam Bloom was not the right person for the job and worked better in a market like Florida rather than Massachusetts, and he just could not handle it. Um, do you think that was it, or do you think that Henry was the one that? controlled what he would spend i think henry controlled what he would spend i am a, a smart guy and what is it with all these yale guys by the way uh i am bloom yale big bristle yale theo epstein yale can we get a hot guy in there to uh to, to, to help, help this team out <laughs> yeah yale guys are my liking uh I, i'm but, still looking forward to opening day however there's just something very significant about baseball starting um, yeah, it, it 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 is, and it, it should it should really should be a state holiday. Uh, uh, some of the, some of the days that we have holidays for, I mean, this is a day everybody wants to be off because they want to either go to the Fenway or watch the game on TV, and it, it really is. Um, it's almost like like Patriot the Marathon Monday, you know. It's it's just a just a special day uh, when baseball starts, and um, I, so if I ever I ever run for public office. And in a constitutional office in the state, I'm going to propose that opening day be a state holiday in Massachusetts. You need a campaign manager. I'm ready. You and me, Kenny. We we could beat anybody. (laughs) Anybody. Anybody. Absolutely. Um, But on the on the other hand, if Cora does have problems with Breslow, I don't think he'd have too much of a problem in finding a job. I think that. A lot of people would want him. Absolutely, a lot. Uh, he, he's very highly thought of around baseball. Uh, he's a smart guy. Um, he 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 knows how to develop young players. But I think he's getting a little frustrated um, at what he's had to uh, 
deal with. There were teams now that were were so bad, like Baltimore. I mean, like it wasn't that long ago they were losing a hundred games, and yep. now you know they're 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 the, the, <laughs> the top team in the American League East. Uh, the Blue Jays are a good team. Tampa Bay has always had a good team, uh, and the two worst teams in the in the division are the Red Sox and the Yankees, who used to <laughs> beat the heck out of everybody in the division, and now it's completely turned around. Who would have thought that the Orioles and, and the Tampa Bay Rays would be, would, would be far superior to the Red Sox or the Yankees? You know, it's a funny thing when the strike was on, XM Radio was rerunning old baseball broadcasts. And they reran a broadcast one night with the Yankees and the Red Sox. And both Waldman, Susan Waldman and John Sterling talked about what great future managerial material Cora could be. And they could just spot it from where they were. And he wasn't even a manager yet. And I, yeah. <laughs> I got quite a kick out of that. I thought that was kind of yeah. neat. Yeah, I, right. I think that's, that's, that's the general consensus around Major League Baseball is that this guy is not a guy that just, uh, you know, sat at the end of the bench and, and, and just watched. He, he observed, he listened, he paid attention, he questioned things. Um, you know, it, 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 it's, it, it's in his DNA. It's part of, part of Alex Cora's fabric. Um, but I, I, I know that he got frustrated last year. He sort of felt like his hands were tied behind his back um, because – he couldn't go to Hyam and say, "Hey, look, you know, I need, uh, I, I, I really need some help in the bullpen. We really need some some help at this position. We need some depth." And you know, with most clubs, you know, if the manager comes to the general manager and, and you know makes a request like that, sooner or later, you know, he, his request is uh, is met and accepted. But it just didn't happen. I know it frustrated Cora, and Cora does a great job in hiding his frustration in his press conferences. So sometimes you can just you can just hear it in his voice and you can just see, you know, his so, shoulders sort of something in his body language saying, you know what, this guy is he's 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 at his wit's end. And um, you know, it may happen it it, 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 it will happen again this year, I can promise you. Hmm. Would Veritech make a good manager? I would think so. He's been around for a long time. He's paid his dues. He's stayed with the organization. Um, you know, a catcher is sort of like a quarterback. You you know what the strength and weaknesses of everybody everybody in front of you. You know, you 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 don't have your back to anybody. You're facing the other eight play, position players on the field. You already know how to handle the pitchers. You already know how to handle you know your infielders. You know who has strong arms, who has weak arms. You know what to look for. You know what's important. You know what your team needs. And, and I think that that he's uh, if Cora is, is to leave after this year, I think Veritek is more than ready. Because of what happened with the Tim Wakefield instant, in, uh, instance, how do you think Kurt Schilling is regarded right now? They're, he's not a very popular guy around the Red Sox right now. Um, I know they're going to honor the 20th anniversary of the 2004 team this summer. And I think it's best for all concerned if, if Kurt Schilling is not invited. But Schilling is the kind of guy that would sort of just show up and upset a lot of people. 
um, you know, he broke the confidence of, of, of Tim Wakefield's family, his wife, his family, um, telling everybody how sick he was. And he did not have permission to do that. And he had no right to do it. And there are some people that will never, ever, ever forgive him for it. All right. Let's switch organizations. Um, Patriots. Upton Bell told yes. me right at the beginning of the year they were going to have a bad season. And A, he was <laughs> right about that. But the thing that's, well, two things that are surprising. One, of course, the big one, Bill Belichick doesn't have another job yet. And there were a lot of job openings at the end of the season. And you'd have thought, sure, he would have been hired by now. Yeah, that that one has me um, just totally confused. Um, especially when he went to Atlanta and he had to come back for a second interview. I didn't like that at all. I said, something really is fishy about this. Bill Belichick, first of all, he needs, he doesn't even need a first interview, you know, a second interview. What is he, some <laughs> grad student you know, applying for a job at a, at a law firm or something, you know, or some, some, some business uh, major? No, he's Bill Belichick. I think, but might be working against him. There's, there's this new school of thought now that you need a coach who relates to his players. And I think the thought that Bill is going to be 72 in April uh, has worked against him. Um, I also think that uh, these owners are a very tight-knit bunch. And Robert Kraft has the ear of a lot of these, uh, a lot of the owners in the league. And especially the seven teams that had coaching vacancies. Um, I know that they, many of them consulted Robert Kraft. I don't know what he told them, but I know that the last three or four years weren't very pleasant for Robert Kraft uh, working with Bill Belichick around here. And that possibly, that possibly the owners talking among themselves could have worked against Bill Belichick. Um, you think that one of those seven teams that was looking for a head coach would roll the dice on Bill Belichick and just give it a shot. And let's see what happens. But I think a lot of people are going to say, well, let's look at a record with Tom Brady, his record without Tom Brady. And <laughs> you, can't, you, you can't argue that, you know, um, it, it's a losing record. And, you know, another thing is the owners really love to have control of everything in their organization. When you hire Bill Belichick, you relinquish a lot of that control. And especially if he wins, that drove Kraft crazy. That Belichick, you know, treated him with such disrespect and just did things his way. And Kraft had to go along with it because they were winning or they were at least in the Super Bowl. I mean, they, they went nine times and they won six. And the three they lost were two to the Giants and two to the Eagles. And they all came down to the last play of the game. And Belichick, uh, Robert Kraft had to sort of put up with some of the disrespect, I guess you might call it, from uh, that, that Belichick showed toward, toward Robert Kraft. And um, I don't think there's an owner out there that really wants to be um, – to have to listen to Bill Belichick and have Bill Belichick tell you what he what he wants you to do. These owners want to have total control of themselves. 
Well, I still think that Kraft could have exercised his power if he'd have wanted Brady to stay. Uh, I mean, he's the owner of the team. I know. He's the owner of the team, and he could have told Belichick, look, this is the way it's going to be. If you don't like it, goodbye. And he didn't do that, and I was surprised at that. So I've lost respect for Kraft over that thing. Well, Belichick had made so many correct decisions during his 20 years, 20-something plus years there as a head coach, that Kraft just was going to go along with him. Um, we Belichick almost traded Brady away for, to, to elevate Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, the time that Garoppolo was traded to the 49ers, I think that was in uh, in 2017, I think. Um, yeah. Halloween. Yeah. Halloween. It was the uh, was the trading deadline, and Belichick uh, wanted to trade um, uh, Brady and elevate Garoppolo, and then. Kraft said, no, you're not going to do it. Uh, Garoppolo was the guy you're going to trade, not not Brady. So they traded Garoppolo, and Brady stayed, and Brady showed that he still had plenty plenty more in his tank that he could play this game and play it at a high level and play it very, very well. Gerard Mayo, uh, were you surprised? Uh, and it came out that they had already agreed that with, if and when Belichick left, he would be coach. Or would you rather have seen Mike Rabel? I would have rather seen Mike Rabel because of the coaching experience. He's coached six six years as a head coach. Uh, um, that would have been my choice. That kind of surprised me um, that Mayo is coming in and who's just he he could do an outstanding job. Um, I, I I don't know, but to me, experience is very important. In, in, in any head coaching position, perhaps more so in football than, than any other sport. But um, that would have been, been my choice. But it was very swift when Bill, they agreed to part ways. Don't, don't, they did not part ways. Bill Belichick was fired. Um, and and everybody's afraid to say it around here because he was, he was fired. And then very shortly after that, um, there's a press conference and well, not a press conference, an announcement that Gerard Mayo is the new head coach of the Patriots. So right there, Kraft regains control of the team. He has somebody that's indebted to him for giving him the job and showing the confidence in him. And now Robert Kraft and, and, and you'll see more Jonathan too, as well, um, have control of this team. And, We'll be talking to him about trades, free agent signings, draft choices. Whereas uh, he was, uh, Kraft was just a spectator when, when all that went on with Bill Belichick. What do you think Belichick will do now? Just relax and enjoy the, 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 the smell of the grease paint and the roar of the crowd, so to speak? I don't know. I, I gotta, I, I, I gotta think that I know, uh, one network is is working feverishly to try to convince Belichick to uh, come be part of their studio show before the game. Um, I'm not sure that Belichick wants to uh, be be doing uh, uh, color commentary in a booth and traveling to a different city every weekend for three or four days. I think he'd rather show up in a studio 
Um, I mean, ESPN doesn't have a strong lineup on their Monday night show. Uh, he'd be a perfect fit there. Um, I don't know if he can fit another person on the desk with CBS <laughs> and Fox. There's so many, so many people in, in both of those, those pregame shows. So I think that's where he might wind up is either part of the, the Monday night crew on their pregame show or maybe on location. Now NBC's got a, got a lot of a lot of bodies in there now. Um, you know, some if Belichick comes in, maybe somebody's got to go. Uh, so I, I I think I think that that's where he's going to wind up. Um, he's he was pretty good when he was on the, the uh, ESPN's game day when the Army Navy game was at the Gillette Stadium in uh, in December, and I thought he you know his personality, uh, what 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 little personality Bill has, it came through. <laughs> And, um, you know, he, he, he can be a funny guy at times, um, but he, he just doesn't show it. And, and I, I think that, you know, we saw a little bit of that. And I think, I, I think some network like ESPN is willing to roll the dice on him. Well, I know Brady, if what I heard is correct, uh, is supposed to start working on Fox, uh, I think, this year. Uh, yes. He are. He already does a show on XM Radio called Let's Go, uh, which yeah. is on mon Monday nights. I haven't listened to it, um, but I could, I can tell that if I had a choice between Brady or Belichick, it wouldn't be Belichick. <laughs> well, and that's just because of what I've seen in his press, press conferences. He's going to so, be the... Yeah, but the press conferences, when, when they lose, there's nothing worse than, than a Bill Belichick press conference. <laughs> when they lose, it, it, it really is, it, it's bad. And um, and it, it, it gets worse and worse and worse. Um, as for Brady, he's going to be, the, he's going to replace um, Olsen uh, as the number one color commentator uh, in the Fox, the, the Fox game of the week. Um, if he's anything, he was liking those two commercials on the Super Bowl with Vince Vaughn for the Bet MGM and uh, the the uh, Dunkin' Donuts uh, thing with Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Brady's going to be sensational, um, and and I and I think he will. I think he'll work at it. Um, I think he he wants to be he he wants to be good at it. He just just doesn't want to be a guy that shows up and states the obvious i think he really wants to be good at this and be one of the best analysts there is yeah i i think he's going to be um i usually put the radio on when i'm listening to a football game but uh i might not do that so much this year if uh brady is with fox and a patriots game is on i might just uh stick to television for a little while well, anytime if we, you know, we're going to get the a Fox game of the week, usually delivered here to to do uh, the New England area, and um, I'm curious enough to uh, to tune in and listen and watch. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. All right, Bruins. I don't know if they're having as good a year as everybody thought they would after last year. I hope I hope they don't have as good a year as last year. I, I, I just I felt that they spent too much energy chasing that best record in the NHL um, 
and to, and to set a record, you know, for all time. And then when they came down to the playoffs, they go out and lose to the number eight seed. And, you know, you look at some of the great NHL dynasties over the years, the Penguins, the, uh, the Islanders, the Edmonton Oilers, you know, as they went along in their, in their dynasties, they didn't finish first all the time. You know, sometimes they finished third, sometimes they finished second. They just sort of coasted a little bit. And then like late March, they started playing a little better. And then like that first or second week of April, they just ramped it up when the playoffs started. The Bruins last year had ramped it up since all since the opening night when they dropped the puck. <laughs> and they just had nothing, nothing at all left in their tank when it came time for the playoffs. And you could see it. You could see it. They could see the, the, the lack of energy. You could see the lack of emotion. And you could see that they were a team that was spent chasing that, that record. That, that record means nothing. I mean, no, nobody talks about that now. They'll, they'll talk about who was the best team in the National Hockey League last year. But they won't, they won't, they won't. And they're referring to the playoffs. They're not talking about who had the best record, who won the President's Trophy. Who cares about the damn President's Trophy? Uh, I, I would just assume have them finish with the, the, the second or third best record in the National Hockey League. But come April, whatever day the playoffs start, uh, be ready to go and be ready to knock teams out and move in, in advance. And they weren't ready to do that last year. You know, I used to look forward to all-star games, both in baseball and hockey, not so much the Pro Bowl, but the other sports. I don't have that feeling anymore. Yeah, there isn't. I'm trying to think. The the football one is gone now. They, they play flag football, so forget about that. The NBA all-star game has been a joke for a long time. It's... Uh, you know, 175 to 171. Um, the hockey has become a joke. And what is left? Baseball. Baseball. Baseball, not bad. What what used to be great about the base, baseball all-star game before the advent of cable television was that, you know, we here in Boston – had heard about a lot of great players in the National League, but we never saw them on TV until the All-Star game. Remember when we were kids, you know, you'd say, wow, there's Hank Aaron, there's Willie Mays, you know, there's um, uh, Willie Stargell, there's Willie McCovey. You know, look at all these guys, Ernie Banks, you know. But now yeah. you see them on cable so much every single night, it's not that big of a deal. Um, they've done some pretty good innovations. Uh, I think the Home Run Derby, is a pretty is 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 a good idea, um, and I also think the idea that they that they put a microphone on uh, one of the defensive players um, when he's out in, in the outfield, and they talk to him during the game, and it's kind of it's kind of cool. He would he would he would think in what they're talking about. So of all the four, uh, baseball still to me uh, is something I look forward to, and I, I hated it when I was working because. There was nothing going. So one day of the year, there was nothing going on, and and we, if the game wasn't over by eleven o'clock, the also game we couldn't show the highlights. So we, I had the guy to come up with, be creative and come up with something special to fill the time. 
but the, mm. uh, but the big baseball All Star game to me is uh, is the best of the four. Well, I think free agency has hurt it. Uh, I think um, interleague play has hurt it. Now, I disagree with you about a ball player wearing a microphone and talking to him during the game. Uh, I want to hear a baseball broadcast. I don't want to hear what what um, uh, Lopez or anybody, Mookie Betts, thinks about so-and-so. Not during the game. Before well, I, or I, after. I like yeah. getting, getting inside their head and saying, all right, I got to play this. This guy to right center field because you know he pulls a little index card out of his back pocket. He said, "This guy is you know hits thirty seven percent of the time. He hits it right up the alley here in right center field. So I got to be on my horse. Whoa, here it comes. Whoa, I gotta go. I gotta go. And then he runs and and he feels the ball. I I like that. You know, I, I like I like knowing what the what they're thinking, and um, especially if I'm if I'm you know playing little league baseball. You know, because you know standing out there in right field. You know, what should I be thinking about? Should I be you know, maybe I can pick something up from this guy talking to me about about how he defends this hitter. Uh, this guy's a pull hitter, so I'm going to shade him more towards the right field uh, foul line. Or the guy's, uh, you know, it hits the opposite way, so you know we're going to play him shallow and more towards right center. So I I, I kind of like that. You know, get, to me it's it's a little bit inside baseball that you don't get during the regular season. I heard an interview that John Sterling did with uh, Marty Appel on a book that he wrote on the, on the history of the Yankees. And he said to him, what have you learned that you didn't know before you started writing this book? His answer was that the ball players used to want to play and did play the whole all-star game. They didn't play right. two innings, three innings and be gone. They played the whole game. They wanted to play the whole game, and they did. And they don't do yeah. that anymore. I don't like that either. No, they're. I mean, some of these guys play one inning, and by the third inning, they're on a jet somewhere. They're going. They're going back home. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the guys that don't get into the eighth and ninth inning are kind of kind of mad because they get a they get to hang around the whole night wherever the game is being played, and and they got to fly back. They all they're all going private jets now anyway, and um, but yeah, that that used to be the case, and now every other manager talks to the the, the all star manager and says, "Hey, don't uh, my, don't let my guy pitch more than uh, twenty five pitches. Take him out of the game because I'm going to need him when we come back for the all star break on Thursday or Friday night." And so that that part has changed a little bit. Um, I don't really care who, who wins. I used to care for the for the American League. I thought that idea about the uh, uh, whatever league won the game got home field advantage was the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> I mean, you 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 play the regular 162 games and you win like 104 games, but you're in the National League and, and you lost the All Star game. So the team that won, you know, 12 games less than you did in the regular season gets home field advantage. That's stupid, um, and it, it, I'm, I'm glad that, that they finally got rid of that. That the, now if the team with the with the best record, um, you know, obviously uh, gets gets home field advantage. I remember the year that, and I think Bud Selig was still commissioner at the time, 
they they ran out of pitchers. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was the first year of the Ted Williams Award, and they they didn't do it because they stopped the All-Star game. I never <laughs> forgot that. <laughs> and but I and I'm also old enough to remember, and I liked this when they had two all-star games. I enjoyed yeah. that for a few years. That I thought was it was great. great. Yeah. Now, uh, I, I I always I always got a kick out of Whitey Ford uh facing Willie Mays or or White or or Hank Aaron or or whatever. And I'll put it on because I like baseball, but it, it doesn't it doesn't have the excitement that I used to enjoy when I was a young man. <laughs> Not so much anymore. I miss Marcus Smart. Yeah, he was a he was a Celtic, you know. He was yep. um, he played great defense. He was one of those guys where you know you would never pick to be like a a guy you want with the ball at the end of the game, but he's a guy you want on the floor at the end of the game. Um, and he, I, I liked him. Um, I thought when he came back, that was, it was very nice to the way the crowd received him. Um, all the nice things he had to say about playing here in Boston and, and doing all the right things. Um, he was a guy that was a true Celtic and, um, I, I, I hated to see him go, but, you know, I understand why, why Brad, you know, Brad had to do something to, to, to let a spark under this team. And we don't know what's going to happen with this team come playoff time. Um, you know, health is, is a big, big factor. And, um, and playing together as a team is a big factor, too. Do you uh, go to any sporting events now? I don't because um, it's hard for me to, you know, when, when I get in a crowd, um, if I get bumped or jostled, I could, I could, I could take a fall and, oh. um, I've already fallen, uh, I've, I've fallen like two or three times and I, I broke my wrist and I had to have surgery and I broke a finger and I broke some ribs and I broke a bone in my, in my spine. So, wow. and that was, you know, not around anyway, that was just, just around my, my house. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little reluctant to, to, to go in big crowds like that just because, um, I went. I went to the Harvard Yale game uh, not this past year, the year before, and I remember I was coming out of it, and there were forty thousand people coming. I was like the salmon that was swimming upstream, and, uh, <laughs> and they were they were all coming at me, and, and the sun was setting over on Soldiers Field Road over by WBZ, and I was staring into the sun, and I I couldn't see anybody coming, but I could just I I could see them when they were on top of me, so I just I I went over and. I found one of those ambulances and I just sort of uh, hung on to the foot of that until uh, everybody, you know, sort of uh, passed me by and things settled down a little bit. And then I went over and helped in my car and, and took off. But uh, that, yeah, that, that's why I, I, I don't go to, to, to a lot of these events because, you know, and, and I don't want any special treatment for anybody. Okay. Get out of the way. Mike Lynch is coming. You know, I just, um, you know, when I, have, when I have more confidence in my balance and my, my ability to, you know, to, to not get, not fall down if I get bumped by somebody, you know, I'll, I'll start going back. But, you know, for the last year and a half or so, I haven't gone to any games. When are you going to write a book? Everybody asked me that. Everyone asked me that. And uh, I didn't think, I didn't think anybody would be interested in it. And, but, 
you know, more, if, if, if everybody that asked me when I'm going to write a book, bought a book, I probably had, be, had sold a couple thousand copies already. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've, I've had people ask me that question as well. And um, I'm going to, I may start working on it. I started writing my autobiography a long time ago when I was at City Hall and I forgot about it. And my wife found it a week ago. And we're going down to Carolina to spend some time with the son of my first boss, who's talked to me about writing a book. So maybe I'll wind up doing it. Well, we'll have a, we'll have a contest. I see who, see who finally gets to do, write a book first. Who's booking out? I have, I, have the, <laughs> I, have, I have the title of the book. I'm, I'll probably call it Behind the Mic, M-I-K-E. Yeah, very good. Um <laughs> Oh, somebody wrote a book with that title. And I, oh, um, Emmerich, Doc Emmerich wrote an autobiography yeah. with that with that kind of title. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's a good idea. I'm trying to find out, figure out a title if I write one for mine. And the only one I can come up with is ones that have been used by so many people like, you know, on the air or as you say, behind the mic or... Um, I, I'm reading a book now on the history of the World Series, and Mike, they, they talk about uh, different uh, biographies or autobiographies that players have written. Mike Schmidt wrote one, and I loved his title. It was Clearing the Bases. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you never know. Um, do, do, do you remember Cliff Keene? Oh, very well. Yes, yes, I remember so Cliff Keene. So I, I used to work on the old WITS radio with Cliff Keene. And Cliff said, he says, I don't know if I'll ever write a book, but I got a great title for it. And the title was, The Bases Were Loaded and So Was I. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I, I, I like that. What do you foresee as far as the sports situation? And I realize that's a broad question, but. What do you foresee as uh, things happening in in Boston? Everybody likes to play here. It's they used to say that about working at WBZ. They said it's like everybody wants to play in Yankee Stadium. Everybody wants to work at WBZ. <laughs> well, I don't um, know if they do anymore, but they did. <laughs> but they did when I was when I was there. That was for a long time. That was a place to be. And, yeah, um, you know, I, I do a podcast now with, with Bob Lobel, and he worked there obviously for a long time, and he fe he feels very passionate about WBZ, you, and the people he worked with, both in the radio side and the TV side. And I have the same feeling for for Channel Five. I mean, I work with and for some great people over there, and and I was a lucky guy, a guy you know who grew up in Swampscott. Uh, went to college in Boston, never left here, and got to do sports in the, the town where I grew up. And you know, not not a lot of people get that that opportunity. And and I'm very thankful to to Jim Thistle and Phil Balboni for, and Jim Coppersmith and Paula Cameron for showing the confidence in me uh, to let me and let me pretty much do sports the way I wanted to do it. Um, mm. They never, never really came in and said, "Listen, you, you should do this, you should do that." 
um, I never had any interference from anybody at all. And that's pretty, pretty lucky thing that, you know, every night you're not, you're not basically doing somebody else's plan. You're, you're doing your own plan and your own, uh, your own dreams. And, um, and I was lucky that, you know, I, I cared about the teams, you know, I, I cared about the Red Sox. I, know I, I, I lived and died the, the ball going through Buckner's legs. I lived and died the 75 series, 67 series. I went to the first Patriots game in 1960 at BU. I snuck into the garden for countless Celtics games. Same thing with the Bruins. And, um, you know, when, when, when good things were happening, I was excited professionally and I was excited personally as well. I, being a producer, have great memories of producing a sports talk show. Uh, I, I remember I had, we had Willie Mays on one night. And before we put him on the air, I said to him, Willie, who's the greatest ball player you ever saw? And he said, me. And <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, if any, what memories you have or are able to harbor from doing a sports talk show. I, I, I think that's fascinating because it was a lot different back then. The athletes were easier to reach. And, and I'm just curious as to, to what memories you will treasure as far as working a, a sports program, especially with a guy like Cliff Keen. He could, you know, Cliff could get anybody he wanted to, to come on. He would tell the producer, Don Maxson and, or Matt Mangan in, in his ear, he'd say, call um, County Stadium in, Mil no, uh, in Milwaukee when the Tigers were playing the Brewers in the last, uh, the, the last weekend of the regular season. This would be a Saturday around noontime, one o'clock game. He said, call County Stadium in Milwaukee, ask for the Tigers uh, clubhouse, see if you can get me Sparky Anderson. And I'm, 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 I'm looking at my, I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> this is never going to happen. And all of a sudden, like two minutes later, in our ear, I hear, I get Sparky Anderson on the line. <laughs> and there we were. And, uh, and so, um, you know, uh, Sparky says, uh, Cliff, how you doing? He says, good, good, Bush. I think I just Cliff called everybody Bush. Bush, he yeah. Says, how you doing, Bush? He says, hello to Mike Lynch. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And I'm like, you know, I can't believe I'm talking to Sparky Anderson. You know, I'm, I was still a young kid. I was in my 20s. And, and I'm saying, this is unbelievable. And then one day, we, we did the talk show at, at Fenway Park on the old timers day. And we did it up in the old uh, uh, press lounge. And in walks Ted Williams. And Cliff had already um, established and had asked him to come to come and sit down and talk for five or ten minutes. And but you never knew if Ted Williams was going to say yes or tell you to you know get lost. Well, Cliff and I sit at the table. Chair pulls out. Ted Williams sits down and talks to us. And I'm I'm like I'm going I'm like Ralph Kramer on the honeymoons. I'm going yeah. That was impressive. And, you know, Cliff did most of the talking. Um, I got, a, you know, three or four questions in. And then I don't know how long we were talking, maybe 15, 20 minutes. And Cliff said, all right, guys, this interview is over right now. He just stood up, took his headset off and put it down and just walked out the door. And that was <laughs> it. <laughs> it's almost as good as the night that Lobel had the sports final and had Larry Bird, and Bobby yeah. Orr and Ted Williams. And, yeah. you know, that, 
that was a landmark broadcast. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That was a that was a, a great night, and uh, you know, Bob has some great photos from uh, from that night that were taken, and um, he just uh, it just it just came together. It was like the perfect storm, and, uh, and good yeah. for him. Good yep. for him. Well, listen, I uh, I enjoy this myself. I, I hope something happens so we have a good excuse to come back again. <laughs> well, and you know and where I am. This. You know what my number is, and you just call me anytime. I'd be happy to come on with you again. You're you're a good guy, and uh, we were lucky to have you on the air. And I'll tell you something. I still watch the sports on Channel Five every night, but I like Mike Lynch better. <laughs> well, thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Thank I, you very much. <laughs> Well, I, I believe in telling the truth. So <laughs> listen, my friend, you take care. And I feel the same. If there's ever anything I can do from here, by all means, call me. Because I would I would do anything for both you and Lobel. You're Thank two you, good guys. The feeling's and, mutual. And the pleasure of knowing you is indescribable. So you take care of yourself. Have a, have a good dinner. Kiss your wife, and uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Ken. Always, always a pleasure. Same here. And that'll do it for another edition of City Talk. Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email. The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. That's kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk.